This is the Author Biz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number 16. Welcome to the Author Biz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings and welcome to The Author Biz, the Monday podcast focused on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. I'd like to thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to this week's show. I appreciate it and I know my guests do as well. Today we're going to spend some time talking about discoverability, specifically some techniques that our guest has used to increase the awareness of her books by partnering with other authors. Now, you may be asking yourself, why would I want to partner with another author? I'm selling books to readers, and so are they. There's a chance that if someone buys my partner's book, they may not buy mine. Sure, that's a possibility. But even the most prolific authors have a hard time keeping up with the reading patterns of the most serious readers. But there are other reasons to partner as well. Although writers have a tendency to write in certain certain um, defined and limited genres. That's not how people read. That was Diane Capri. She's the best-selling author of 12 mystery and suspense novels, and she's also the driving force behind The Twelve, a collaboration or partnership between 12 authors that works so well that each member of the group is now a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author. In this interview, we're going to talk about Diane's Hunt for Jack Reacher series, and then we're going to dig into how the partnership that became the Twelve was put together, how they communicated and planned while living on different continents, and what their goals were with the first project, which, as you probably know, was a box set of mysteries and thrillers called The Deadly Dozen. This was a unique, maybe even a -a one-of-a-kind collaboration, but there's much we can learn from the thinking behind this unique partnership. The desire they had to produce something that was newsworthy or even buzzworthy, and how they all worked together to make it happen. While the success of The Deadly Dozen may have been unique, you'll learn in this interview that Diane and the group didn't stop with that success. The Twelve is continuing forward with another unique and buzzworthy project called Flight Twelve. This week's sponsor is Bluehost the perfect place to host your domain on an easy-to-set-up and simple-to-manage WordPress-based author website. Really, if you're serious about running your business as an author, you need your own website, not something that's hosted for free on someone else's platform, but your own domain that's hosting your website. It may seem confusing and expensive, but it's not. Bluehost makes it easy. And if you use the link you'll find at theauthorbiz.com bluehost, You'll be able to get your own website and a free domain registration, all from only $3.95 a month. That's a special price that's available only through the link at theauthorbiz.com slash bluehost. I'm going to be putting together a video tutorial on how to quickly set up a WordPress account on Bluehost, but if you order through the link I mentioned before I get that video posted, I'll even help you set up your website. In fact, we may even use your site for the video. Now let's get on with this week's interview. My guest today is Diane Capri. 
She's the best-selling author of 12 books, and she describes herself as a recovering lawyer. Diane writes mystery and suspense novels that include the Hunt for Jack Reacher series, as well as the Hunt for Justice series. Diane is also one of the driving forces behind The Deadly Dozen, the amazingly successful box set released earlier this year that reached bestseller status on both the New York Times and the USA Today bestseller list. Diane, welcome to the Author Biz. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. We talked in the uh, pre-interview a little bit uh, about the two series that you're currently writing, and you said there's a new series that no one knows about yet that, that you're, you're working on now. Do you want to talk about that for a second before we get rolling? Well, just briefly, um, as I mentioned to you, it's new, it's exciting, we're very thrilled about it, and uh, it should be available very soon, before the end of October. Um, just putting the finishing touches on everything now. And this, so that's about all I can say. You're not even going to give us the name of the series? Well, the name of the series is The Hunt for Truth. Okay. And, and the, uh, the series stars um, Jordan Fox, who is a, uh, a young investigative journalist working for a television station. And she has a very interesting history. So uh, I, think it, I think people are going to love it, I hope. It sounds exciting, and I love the way that you have branded your these different series that that, that all seem to begin with the hunt for. Well, thank you. Um, it, it's been an interesting process of you know trying to come up with um, a brand that Matt, that suits my work and that readers respond to. Um, and so once we found it, we decided to stick with it. Now, uh, the first book of yours that I read was The Hunt for Reacher or The Hunt for Jack Reacher. It's it's based loosely on events that have happened to the fictional character Jack Reacher, who, of course, is a creation of Lee Childs. I absolutely love that book, found it to be an immense page-turner, and I love the way that you built in this backstory as the basis for a really exciting thriller. Well, thank you, Stephen. I'm glad you liked it. It was um, it was a challenge to write, but it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed the process. And readers have responded to it amazingly well, which I'm very, very grateful for because that means I get to write some more. Um, and it's it's just a lot of fun. There are um, two novels and three novellas in that series now, and we recently released a um, an anthology of the shorter books called uh, Hit the Road, Jack, and all the books have the word Jack in the title, and they are, um, as you said, the Hunt for Jack Reacher series. So it's been, it's been a really fun experience, and uh, I'm glad you liked the book. Now, I'm assuming that there was some sort of an arrangement that you reached with Lee Child for doing these books. In fact, there was a, in, in the, the copy that I read, there was this fabulous piece that Lee had written at the end of the book, just kind of bragging about the book. Maybe he sent that out to his newsletter or something, but it was it was wonderful. So obviously you guys work together on this, and, and he's fully supportive of what you're doing. He is. Um, Lee's a friend. I've known him for a long time. We met uh, at uh, some writers' organizations. We both served on the board for International Thriller Writers, and he's the president there now. Yes. Um, and so, you know, he was very, um, he's very supportive. He's very uh, interested and a very generous person to, you know, let me do this, which I truly appreciate. It's been great, great fun for me. And, 
you know, it, but I'll tell you, it's a little dangerous writing about hunting for Jack Reacher because Jack Reacher's fans are very, very dedicated. <laughs> and so you have to be careful that, you know, you don't say something that they don't like. Yes, there there would be those that would say it would also be dangerous to uh, star in a movie based on a Jack Reacher book. <laughs> there are people who would say that, yes. <laughs> did you see that movie, by the way? I did. I, I actually enjoyed it. Once I, It took me about two minutes to get over the fact that Tom Cruise was really short, but then I thought he did a pretty good job, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, and what I tell people all the time when they ask me about it is, you know, Lee Child is a is a writing phenomenon, honestly, and he has created an amazing character uh, for 19 books now, and uh, I trust his judgment for all things Reacher. I mean, he created the character, he's built the character, he knows the character, and if he thinks that Tom Cruise can play Jack Reacher, that's good enough for me. So I enjoyed the movie a lot, and uh, I think it's great. Now, I I never ask this question of of authors, but I'm going to ask it of you because this is such a unique situation. How did you get the idea for the book? It's it, it, I never want to ask how do you get the idea for the story, but this is such an unusual idea that the idea of taking two current day characters and having them start looking for a fictional character in a town where the fictional character was 15 years ago? You know, Stephen, I've been writing and publishing for a long time, and um, I've been asked questions like that before about a lot of my work. People will say, well, how did you do that? How did you think of that? And I used to try to answer those questions. I would, you know, really kind of give an explanation of how I actually did it. Um, But what I have learned over time is it's just the way my mind works. I mean, I I don't have an explanation for that. It just, you know, once I start thinking about something and it just kind of, it just happens. I don't know. It's magic. I I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) That's a a good answer. (laughs) But I I absolutely... I mean, I could could tell you mechanically how it happened, but that wouldn't really answer your question. No, it's more just the idea, coming up with the idea of doing something like this. Because as you said, it is so risky to, to take on an iconic character, an iconic character's history like that. It is, and it's very challenging, too, because, um, you know, fortunately, I'm a big Reacher fan, so, um, you know, I'm very familiar with the character, I'm familiar with the books, I'm familiar with the entire canon, so that, you know, that's very helpful. Um, But, you know, it's a challenge to, to... not make a mistake, you know, on something factual or something critical. Um, and so I'm always really very worried about that and very careful about that. Uh, and so it was, you know, when I decided to start, I mean, when I came up with the concept and I decided to start with The Killing Floor um, and to start in Margrave, Georgia, you know, I had read that book probably two or three times already, but then I had to go into it and read it you know, basically line by line so that I could not mess up, frankly. Um, You know, how many characters were they? Where did they live? Who died first? How did they die? What did you do to kill them? Who was left? You know what I mean? Um, I'll I'll tell you one little piece of inside baseball. One of the things that um, uh, is going on in my series is that that there are no uh, 
files anywhere about Jack Reacher after he left the military. And so my characters are trying to build a file because Jack is being considered for a special assignment. And I've had people, you know, contact me and say that there must be files on Reacher, that he's worked with the FBI before, that, you know, he's over the course of these 19 books, you know, there are times when there had to be a file. Um, but in fact, you know, I went right to the source on that. <laughs> <laughs> and if he says there's no file, there's no file. <laughs> and that's the story. <laughs> We're sticking to it. I mean, in my series, the way that gets explained is that, you know, there's somebody on the inside that's making sure that my characters don't find those files to the extent that they exist. Um, but the reality of the way the, the Reacher's exploits um, happen in the Reacher books is that generally there wouldn't be any files either. Um, either they're destroyed or the people that he's working with are working off the books or somehow everybody is kind of um, on the down low, you know. So, mm-hmm. so the fact that there's no files. In the first story, though, in The Hunt, uh, Killing Floor, there you know, there was no reason for all of that stuff to be, um, you know, under the table. But what happened, if you go back and read the book, what happened is everything was destroyed. Um, there's a point in that book where uh, the police station is blown up, and whatever records there might have been are now gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so really, um, you know... It, it works out pretty well. But, you know, I, that, those are the kinds of things that people will write to me and say, well, you know, there has to be files. And, when I, and I need to feel confident when I say, um, well, uh, no. <laughs> so it works out pretty well. One of the things that I found to be among the most fun of the book is, as readers, when we read the Reacher books, we know Reacher because we've read the books. We know who he is. We know, we know his motivations. But these FBI agents are coming in cold, and they've got a little bit of detail about a guy who looks like a stone-cold killer. And that's their impression of him when they get started. And it's really interesting to see Reacher from someone else's perspective coming in at it 15 years later. I agree. I mean, one of the, the challenges and one of the fun parts of writing this series for me is that any Reacher fan knows a thousand times more about Reacher than um, my characters, Kim Otto and Carlos Gaspar, do. And so in writing the books, you know, you have to keep in mind that the readers typically already know things that my characters don't know. And my characters are learning things, and they're learning from unreliable sources. You know, so they aren't necessarily getting the truth of it. The thing that Reacher readers uh, know is they know Reacher intimately because all of those books are told from his point of view. Mm-hmm. And so you're inside his skin, basically. You're thinking like he thinks you're seeing what he sees. There's no way that Otto and Gaspar will ever be able to do that um, because they're not him. So what they're getting is, you know, um, the public story, if you will. So one thing they run up against all the time is people who are very intensely loyal to Reacher. And they don't understand that. They can't. They don't know why people would be loyal to a guy who is a stone cold killer. There's no question about that. Um, there's lots of dead bodies to prove it. <laughs> so, 
you know, so that that's a challenge for them, and it's it's an interesting conundrum they find themselves in. So, so they're learning a little bit at a time that, you know, he might not be such a bad guy. But and there, the rest of us already know that. There's one particularly, it was a poignant scene for me um, in, in the book where Kim was speaking with the sheriff who played a big role in in the in the Reacher book way back when and who mm-hmm. who really knew Jack Reacher and right. Kim was trying to better understand Reacher and w- was making these statements about him and and um the sheriff just kind of laughed and said you don't know Jack right <laughs> which of course was the the title of the book and I just I I love that scene <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Now, this book was a part of The Deadly Dozen. It's the first book in the series. It's a part of The Deadly Dozen, which was a box set that was put together with you and 11 other authors uh, where you took, I'm assuming, the first of series and, and slid them into this box set, and it became a sensation in the publishing world. It, it did so well. So uh, let's just assume that people know what The Deadly Dozen is. If not, we'll have links to it. Um, But it was 12 great books by authors that we would know, and it was 99 cents. And it hit bestseller list very, very quickly and just sort of blew up. Walk me through the process of, of how The Deadly Dozen was put together. Um, okay, let's see. Well, as you said, um, we had 12 books, and it probably goes back to a little bit before we started that. Um, a challenge that authors face today, uh, and always have, frankly, is um, getting the word out and reaching readers who might enjoy the work. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in the world, some of them, uh, don't enjoy reading at all. Some of them only like to read nonfiction. There's all sorts of readers. So whatever you write, you know, your challenge is always trying to find readers who might enjoy your work. So the, and that's getting to be a bigger and bigger challenge every day in the publishing world, because these days with with self-publishing and ebooks and all the options available out there, there are just a lot of books. And so for readers to, to get through them all and, and uh, find yours is, um, you know, not an easy thing. So back in, I'm thinking something like November of last year, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a little earlier than that, um, I started to realize that, you know, I could amplify my efforts 12 times if there were 12 people trying to do this instead of only one. So, um, so I invited some friends who are, you know, terrific authors um, to join me in a group, which we, you know, very creatively called the 12, um, <laughs> the purpose <laughs> of which was to, um, you know, be 12 times as effective as we could be uh, individually. So um, everybody was, you know, excited about trying that. A lot of this is about experimenting with things and, you know, seeing what works, doing something new and different. And um, so the 12 of us got together 
And we started trying to think about what we would do for our first project. And uh, at that time, there, the multi-author box set was just starting to pop up here and there. Um, uh, several groups of, of authors in other genres had done this, um, but not in our genres. And, and that no one had done it on such a big scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought, well, okay, um, if you want to reach as many people, as many readers as possible, and that was the goal to reach as many readers as we could, um, then what you want is something that is, uh, newsworthy. So it's newsworthy if you're the first big set in your genres and it's newsworthy if there's a lot of books in the set. And guess what? We had 12 people. So we put together a book of, you know, a single box set of 12 great books from 12 authors that were somewhat, uh, well, already well-known um, mm-hmm. in our genres. So um, so that's what we did, and we did it, you know, with the intention that what we wanted to do was, you know, try to get as many, you know, get the book out to as many people who might like it as we could. So that's, that was the, the beginning of it. Okay, let me, let me go had, back and ask a couple questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I, I want to ask a marketing question, because I love the way that you guys did the pre-release marketing for this. But first I want to ask, how did you pick the 12? I mean, did you all know one another already? Yes. How, how did you come together with this 12 people or were six of you friends? And, um, you know, Cheryl Bradshaw said, well, so-and-so would be a great addition to this. And, and, uh, Josh Graham said, you know, this other guy would be a great addition to this. How did, how did it actually happen? All right, so I started. Right. It, I was the one who, you know, wanted to get everybody together. So I went to um, a, a few authors that I knew that were in my genres, that I knew had um, an interest in, uh, you know, finding more readers for their work, um, who were, I mean, I had loose criteria, you know, they needed to have a certain number of books out, they needed to have a certain... Um, you know, level of readership already because we didn't, we weren't building a new group from ground zero. We wanted to start from, you know, a certain platform and go up, which is frankly harder. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat easier to build from nothing, you know, if you're just getting started. Um, so I invited um, initially, I think it was Cheryl Bradshaw and Jay Carson Black and, um, I can't remember who the other early ones were because we got together fairly quickly um, mm-hmm. because once I, you know, once we started saying this is what we want to do, you know, people wanted to get on board. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't difficult to find people to join us. Um, so, but that's how we did it. So I just started out with, you know, a, looking for a certain um certain authors with certain characteristics. Let's okay. put it that way. And, and that, that sort of came through in this initial marketing push, which was very clever. It's, you know, who are the 12? And there, there was this slow release. And as, as someone who was watching this on Facebook and who was friends with some of the authors in the, in the dozen authors, I found it to be fascinating and kind of exciting every time a new author was, was revealed. It's like, oh, that's cool. This so-and-so's in it too. <laughs> Yeah, and that was fun for us because, you know, there's 12 people. It, you you think about, you know, how hard it is to 
um, to introduce you to 12 people at once, mm-hmm. even if you're at a cocktail party, say. You're not going to remember the names. You're not, you know, maybe you're going to put the faces with the names. You're not sure. I mean, it's awkward to do things like that all at one time. So part of it was just the reality that you want to let people get to know each person. And the best way to do that was, you know, one at a time. Um, but we did have, we had little quizzes we, um, that we ran, you know, do you know this person and what do you know about them? And we had what we called quiz cards, which you can still find on our website. Uh, the 12xii.com. And, um, you know, they had interesting things about each of us on there. Um, I forget what they were, but, you know, things like, um, I could look them up for you, but, you know, um, which one of the 12, you know, uh, is a big horse lover, you know, that kind I, of thing. I got that one. I'm going to raise so, my hand. I got that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You'd be surprised. There's two. Oh, so really? Okay. Than you think. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that was kind of fun, and people liked it, and so we we ran a little contest, and we gave prizes, and people just got into it because it was a fun thing, and it was interesting, it was new, it was different, and as I said, all the um, members of the 12 already had a certain level of reading audience, so those people were in it, and then they were interested in learning about the other people, so it just, it was a, it worked out well. It was, it was one of those experiments that you try, and it had a happy ending. It worked and it, out great. it was, it's such an interesting mix, and I didn't know if that was part of the plan or not, because uh, Cheryl, for example, her, Cheryl Bradshaw's, her books are suspense, but there's a hint of romance in them, too. I, I wouldn't call them mm-hmm. romantic suspense, but it's suspense. Uh, Joanna Penn, her books are just hardcore thrillers. Uh, your books mm-hmm. are suspense and thrillerish kind of things. Josh Graham, mm-hmm. you know, completely uh, different. Uh, Jay Carson Black, the same thing. So it's it's a great right. mix of people, and I didn't know whether that was a part of the plan to to bring in more readers from sort of different subgenres. Well, one assumption that we made that, and. You know, we're not the only ones to have made this assumption, and I think it's true. Um, although writers have a tendency to write in certain certain um, defined and limited genres, that's not how people read. Mm-hmm. People generally, you know, read a lot of different things. And so, our, our my working theory when I started the group, and then what as we uh, grew, was that. Readers, if readers, in, like, for example, if readers enjoyed, um, you know, Cheryl Bradshaw, then they would also enjoy J. Carson Black. And, of course, not all of them would, because that, you know, you never get all of anything. Mm-hmm. But, but some might. And, you know, what readers are always looking for is, um, you know, something great to read. And, and it's bewildering to figure that out. So a recommendation is always helpful if you're looking for something good. So, um, you know, if... If Cheryl could recommend um, J. Carson Black, then that would be helpful to Cheryl's readers. It would be helpful to J. Carson Black, and everybody would be happy. So that was that was the concept. And it was so brilliant. Yes, In hindsight, it was things. especially brilliant. <laughs> Well, everything is always brilliant. (laughs) That's true. When you're going through it, it's like, oh, my God, how did I do this? (laughs) Now, as you were going through it, um, you know, I've I've dealt with groups of people before, and it's hard to get 12 people to agree on anything. How did how did you guys 
how did you work this out to to say yes, this is what we're going to do and, and get everybody to buy in on it? Well, I won't tell you that it was, you know, everything was a unanimous vote the first time the questions came up, um, because that's not the case. You know, we everybody is um let me put it this way. We were all aiming in the same direction. So we all knew what the goal was and we wanted to get there. The only um, differences of opinion that we had were on the best ways to make that happen. And usually what we would do is discuss all the possibilities and then pick the ones we thought would work the best with the um, assumption that if they didn't, we'd move on to, you know, the alternatives. Um, there are no bad ideas in this when you do something like this because you don't really know. I mean, it's new. You know, we mm-hmm. don't, nobody's done mm-hmm. it before. So you don't know how it's going to go. So you just, you know, okay, let's try that. And that's a really great, works, great. That's a really great point and a, a great piece of advice for anyone that's listening to this show is, you know, making a bad decision on, on how to maybe market something isn't fatal. You know, you just go on to something else if it doesn't work. Right. I mean, it's honestly, it's a lot like writing the book. I mean, every writer will tell you that, you know, you write a lot of words that, you know, end up in the trash bucket <laughs> because you thought they were going to be good today, but when you look at them tomorrow, you didn't like them very much, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and you thought you could do better or you thought you could improve it. So it's, I think it's kind of the writer's personality to say, you know, let's try that. And uh, if it works, let's do more of it. And if it doesn't, let's do something else. You mentioned the goals and that everybody understood what the goals were. Um, Without coming right out and asking you what were the goals, um, I will ask you instead, did you meet the goals? Did you exceed the goals? Or did you fall short of the goals? Oh, my gosh. Certainly doesn't was successful beyond our wildest imagination. (laughs) I was going to say, Um, if that's not the case, you must have really set the goals way out there. Yeah, no, no. Um, I'll tell you what the, I mean, I will tell you what the goal was. There was one goal and only one goal, and it was the goal from the beginning, and I've already told you what it was several times. The goal was that we were going to make this box set available to every reader on the planet who would like to have it. So we didn't know how many that would be. Um, I mean, it could have been two, you know? I mean, who knows? And we didn't know where they were or what it would take to reach them. So we made an effort to sort of cover the waterfront. So we didn't sell the book exclusively anywhere. We put it everywhere we could put it. Um, We didn't market exclusively on, say, Facebook or Twitter. We marketed on Facebook and Twitter, yes, but we also went um, onto blogs and we did some advertising, whatever we could do, you know, to reach people wherever they are. We all have mailing lists, so we sent individual email newsletters and things like that because people get their information from different places. So you want to be where they are. And, um, and, that, and so that's what we did. So. It really worked for us because once people tried the book, they were really excited about it, mm-hmm. and then they would share it with their friends. And and any book person will tell you that's the secret to success of any book. If you can get, you know, get it into the hands of the right readers who that love it, and are, and they'll tell their friends about it. That's what makes it successful every time. Yeah, even even twelve authors with 
significant author platforms, and you have some people on on the list of these authors that have some pretty big platforms and some pretty big mailing lists. Um, e- even with all of that, it's not enough to accomplish everything that you accomplish. You 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 got this snowball rolling well ahead of, of of the first sale, and it just kept picking up momentum and picking up momentum. And then all of a sudden, there's the news that you made this list and that list and the next list, and it was just incredibly exciting to watch. Well, thank you. And, and Steve, but, you know, I, I gather from things that you've said to me that um, your listeners will be listening to this with a view toward, um, you know, thinking about doing something like this themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so what I want to say about that is, um, you know, don't think that it just happens because it, it doesn't. It's not magic. Um, you know, you can't sell the very best book in the world if nobody knows it's out there. So what we tried to do was make sure everybody, you know, knew it was out there, and then they could make their own decisions. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of energy that gets expended in doing something like that. Um, We asked our friends to help us spread the word. We, um, you know, once, uh, once it made a couple of lists, then you know, it was a lot easier because those lists themselves kind of get a wide distribution and people see them. So that was helpful. Um, We ended up, we hit three New York Times lists and six USA Today lists. So that really gave us, you know, a much broader audience than we would have been able to get Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise. So again, you know, it's, it was sort of a lot of constant effort for a period of about a month. Um, and then it started to have its own, you know, it was, it was out there and it sort of supported itself for a while, which was great. Now, during this month of effort and even maybe the, the few months before this, when you were planning it out, uh, how did you meet? How did you discuss these things? Did you get together electronically? Was it done through email? Did you meet at a conference? How, how was it done? You know what? Honestly, logistics like that were the biggest problem we had because um, we were all over the world, mm-hmm. literally. And, it, you know, there's time zone issues. There's all sorts of issues. So th- that was the big challenge. We mainly use... Um, internet communications, because that way people can pick them up when they can, you know. Um, a lot of times, for example, we had members in um, in Europe, and they were, you know, sleeping when we were awake, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. So we had, um, uh, you know, like I said, internet communication systems set up so that we could, like we did Facebook chats, we did Google Plus Hangouts, things like that, so that we could connect with one another, um, you know, across these different time zones. And the same thing, you know, was a little bit of a challenge when we were putting the book together, when we were doing the marketing, because it was just, you know, some of us are in on the East Coast and some on the West. And so that was the biggest challenge, really. Other than that, it worked out great. After The Deadly Dozen, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think as people watching this, we all thought it was over, but it wasn't over. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about Flight 12, which was fascinating or is fascinating because it's still going on. Well, um, thanks. Um, flight 12 is, again, we think, um, a unique 
uh, thing. We don't. When we started it, we were looking for again something that was different that people would think was fun and interesting um, and would enjoy getting involved in. And what we came up with was Flight 12. And this took a lot of conversation because this was a totally new creative project, whereas Deadly Dozen had been a project where we um, we each uh, uh, contributed something that we had completed already. Mm-hmm. Flight 12 is totally new material. So we had a lot of conversation about you know, what Flight 12 would be, how it could work, how it would fit together, why uh, readers would like it, why they would be interested in it, how it's different from anything else. And eventually, um, that took a long time for us to get all that resolved. And eventually we came up with Flight 12, which is a terrific concept, and we're having a great deal of fun with it. Um, Succinctly put... Uh, it's the story of 12 people who get on a plane. And the question then is, you know, what happens after that? So, um, and the answer is, nobody really knows because the readers are going to help us write the ending. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, we have an ongoing contest. Um, it's been running since we started. We release one new book every month, and we have a contest every month. And at uh, at the very end, we're going to, um, like I said, have an ending that the readers help us with. And we'll choose a lucky winner whose name may end up on book number 13. Now, you say it's 12 people that that wind up on a plane. It's not 12 random people. Um, In many cases, it's a character from a series. It is. Um, The concept was that each novella would feature a current series character uh, who readers already know and like and would enjoy reading about. Mm -hmm. So I think think there's only one exception to that. I think one of the authors is creating a new series, a new character, but everyone else uh, used an existing character. So in my case, um, my Flight 12 book is a Jess Kimball thriller, and Jess Kimball is um, the star of two or three of my books. And um, so that's who I used, and all of us chose a, an existing character. So, yes, um, if you read each of, the, um, each of the Flight 12 novellas, I don't want to give anything away, but one question is always, who, who is going to get on the plane at the end of this story? At the end of each novella? Who is it that's on there? And then once we get them all on there, of course, like I said, the question is, what happens? And we have our ideas, of course. And it's such, so we'll a, it it's such a clever idea because it feeds back into the original goal for this entire project, which is discoverability and people learning about your character. So in part one, in The Deadly Dozen, you had one character. And in this particular entree into, the, into Flight 12, you had a different character. I think Cheryl Bradshaw used the same character. I, I expect a lot of people used the same character. Um, some did and some didn't. Um, I didn't, for example. Mm-hmm. But uh, but some people have have done that. It just sort of depends. Um, you know, we've had some changeover in the uh, authors who are participating members of the 12 now. Mm, I did so see that. Got, yeah. Well, we've got some exciting new members of the 12 now, and, of course, they didn't have a book in Deadly Dozen. 
So they obviously their characters would would not have been there, and I didn't use my Deadly Dozen character. Like I said, um, I think May uh, J. Carson Black did, and I'm not sure about the others. I'd have to actually look and see. Well, it, it was an immensely clever idea and a, a much bigger risk, I would think, because of the additional work. It, it's one thing to take an existing piece of work that's out there that you own the rights to and say, yes, I'm going to offer it as a part of this box set. It's another thing altogether to write a uh, something that's completely new and to write to a schedule that's going to work for everybody else. It is. <laughs> <laughs> It is. Um, it's a very big challenge uh, for us to do it as writers, and um, you know. It's, but so far, it's been really great because readers really love it, and that's that's the whole focus. We're trying to create something that readers will enjoy, and we've had so many just great comments about it, um, and people are really excited about it. So that's a good thing. It's just, it's such a clever idea, and as readers, it's, I, I consider myself to be a volume reader. I read a lot, and uh, so when there's a something different, a different format, a different way of reading a story, it's very interesting. And so it I is. expect you get a lot of that. We do, and and of course we're all kind of like that too. So, um, you know, obviously Stephen King famously said, "There's only two things you really need to do to be a writer: one is read a lot, and the other one's write a lot." <laughs> and um, I think he's right. And uh, every writer I know is a voracious reader. So, to a certain extent, we kind of write what we'd like to read and mm-hmm. we think about what would be exciting for us. So that's how we came up with this, and it's been a lot of fun so far. Now we're, we're about halfway through now. In in the in flight twelve, yes. And while this is going on, we're recording this on October fifteenth. Uh, this is also release day for Deadly Dozen two. It is um, as of today. Deadly Dozen two should be available at all uh, online retailers, uh, and it's you know it's out there and it's ready, so it should be kind of fun. Now you you did. This is much more under the radar than Deadly Dozen 1. Deadly Dozen 1 had this elaborate marketing plan, and this, if you had it, I missed it. So uh, I'm assuming there was something, but I I didn't catch it the way I caught the first one. Well, um, actually, this book started out um, in a special, uh, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but a special promotion at um, iBooks. Okay. iBooks, yeah, iBooks ran um, a, a promotion that lasted for a month, and they invited us to participate. Um, and so we said, okay, uh, but, you know, what do we do? And we came up with Deadly Dozen 2, and that's what we did. And it worked out great, and everybody at iBooks loved it, and lots of readers loved it. But not everybody buys their books at iBooks. Right. Again, you know, going back to our goal mm-hmm. of, you know, making things available to as many readers as we can, somebody said in the group said, you know, well, why don't we make it available on the other at the other retailers once the promo- the special promotion is finished? And so we said, well, sure, why not? So, <laughs> so that's what okay. we did. And, um, and today's the day. And that explains why I did not see it on iBooks, and I did see it today at, uh, at on Amazon. Uh, well, could be. Do you know, are you not an iBooks? I am not an iBooks. I'm a Kindle bigot. Yep. 
Well, I, you know, had my first Kindle back in 2007, like everybody else. Yep. I love Kindle books, and I know exactly what you mean. Um, I do read iBooks, though, and I really like them as well. So, um, you know, I think what I've learned through, you know, publishing uh, eBooks is that readers have, um, they have their, like, uh, retailer of choice, and a lot mm-hmm. of it has to do with the devices that they read on and which ones they really like. Um, these days, a lot of people, especially worldwide, read on their phone. Right. And um, on your phone, you know, most of the phones now, you can read just about any platform you like. You can get an app for Nook, if that's your preference, or you can get one for iBooks, or you can get one for Google Play, or, you know, whatever you like. Kindle, of course, was the first one to pioneer that. So, um, so to, you know, we just wanted to be there for people who you know, have a preference for something else. Right, because there always is someone who doesn't read on a particular platform and they're upset because they don't want to have to go buy that device or install that app on their phone or on their tablet or whatever. Um, can you, without getting into actual numbers, but would you mind sharing rough percentages of how uh, – how the sales went at the different retail outlets for deadly for, for dozen? deadly dozen one um i don't remember the exact numbers our total number that we have you know is we released this everywhere we we sold well over 100,000 copies um in i think it was just under 90 days um and my my memory of course is that it sold in about the same proportion to um, market share. So whatever okay. you know, percentage of the market each of the retailers had, that's about what it did. So it made uh, se- it made sense yeah. in a, for a number of different reasons to not be tied to one particular reseller or, or uh, outlet. Right. Well, because again, our goal was to reach as many readers as we could. So if you had readers who, for example, will only read on Nook or only read on Kobo, um, and you are only available on Kindle, then they can't read your book. So that's, you know, inconsistent with our goal. And our our goal being to get the book to as many people as we could. Is it also a true statement that you don't qualify for certain lists if you are Kindle-specific or or only selling through Amazon? Okay. Uh, yes, there's okay. lots of books. There's lots of books on that sell on Amazon only, which would be at the top of all the bestseller lists mm-hmm. all the time if a single retailer, um, you know, was counted. Okay, um, now you're you're a part of other box sets as well. You mentioned when we were talking before we started recording that because of the success of uh, the 12 and the deadly dozen that people are asking you all the time to be a part of their box set. So you're, you're coming at it now, but with the deadly dozen, you were sort of the driving force and now you've got people coming to you. So is it, is it a little bit different when you're on the other end of it? Are there certain things that you would look for before saying, yes, I'll do it? Um, I think all the members of the 12 have had a similar uh, experience. You know, they've been, I think, just, you know, raising your profile and, and showing up on the radar of people that you, uh, who, other, you know, previously maybe didn't know exactly who you were, um, helped a lot. 
when you get that kind of visibility. Um, but in general, it, I don't know how to say this exactly. I think the um, the heyday of multi-author box sets has been declining uh, for several weeks to months. And lots of people think that, um, you know, it's an idea whose time has passed. And that may be true. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish I did. I would have sold all my stocks before three days ago. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, so I think that box sets in general now uh, are put together with, with different goals and different ideas from what we were doing, you know, last year at this time. Because keep in mind, you know, we did release Deadly Dozen in, gosh, I think it was uh, February. Now that you're being approached, how would you or how would you advise others who are being approached to participate in box sets to evaluate uh, whether or not they wanted to participate? I can tell you how I do it. I, I can't, I, I don't, I mean, everybody's different. And mm-hmm. Every book is different. Everybody's plans are different. But in my case, um, again, I'm always looking to reach new readers. So if I'm invited to be in a set with authors um, I don't uh, already have some relationship with, my question to myself is, um, you know, will I reach new readers by being in this set with them? Uh, if I will, then then the conversation goes on from there. If if not, then you know, uh, then I say thank you for inviting me. But you know, honestly, I have like everybody else, way too many things to do and not enough time to do it in. So I try to be a little bit um, strategic about it. Um, some of them I do really just to help out. Some of my uh, colleagues, you know, just need someone to assist, and I'm willing to do that. Um, but mainly, I mean, everybody tries to give back in this business if they can. So, and, and the community is very helpful to each other. So if, if, uh, if I can help, then I do that as well. Um, sometimes, honestly, I use it as a, um, as a method to get myself to finish uh, projects that I've been working on. I'm, I'm involved in a box set that's on pre-order right now for which I agreed to write a new original novella. And I had been planning to write this thing for a long time, and it just kept getting pushed on the back burner because it didn't have a deadline. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it had a deadline. <laughs> and it got done. That's useful. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was very useful. So that was great. Um, that set is called Unlucky 7, and it's up for pre-order now. Um, will be out, I think, November 4th. So, um, so just, you know, a variety of things like that. I was invited by some friends who are Florida authors to do one, um, of just Florida material. And I, you know, I've, I've been a Florida mystery writer forever. So that seemed like, um, something I should do. And so just, it just kind of, I think just depends on your individual, um, individual preferences and what your goals are. I mean, if you, obviously, if you want to find your name on a big bestseller list, you're looking at a different kind of a set than if you're, you know, looking to be involved in a book with some friends who write about Florida. Now, we're talking specifically about multi-author box sets, but you've also done some yourself, and and there are a lot of other authors who do uh, a box set of their own things. You mentioned having done one for uh, some of the Reacher novellas. 
Yes. Um, is that I, is that something that in general that you think people should do? Does it, it does it help to flesh out your Amazon catalog? Uh, what are the reasons to do it? Well, again, um, you know, I'm, I know I'm not like a broken record here, but there are readers who like to read in sets. Mm-hmm. They like to read a series from beginning to end. They like to read them one after another. And so they like one file, which is what a box set is for um, an electronic book. It's just one file. So when you buy what looks like in the picture a set of books, it really is just one giant book with multiple stories in it. So if you download that onto your Kindle, for example, you don't have to go looking on your in your Kindle library for book one, book two, book three. Um, you just buy them all at one time. There's usually a price savings to the reader involved in that, um, which is great. You know, power readers like you and me, we mm-hmm. buy a lot of books, so if we can save a buck here or there, that's a good thing. Um, so it's I view it as a service to the reader and as an effort again to reach people who you know want to read in in that format. Some readers don't like box sets uh, because they um, they don't want that big file. They just prefer to read, you know, one book at a time. And I've had them tell me that. So it's just a different audience. Same reason I do audio uh, books for all my books and, and paperbacks, because some people prefer to read that way. And I want to be read by as many people as, you know, are interested in reading me. And that's that's really a great point. You have a product, you have a manuscript, and it's you can use that manuscript in different ways to generate income for yourself and to make it easier for people to read. Right, exactly. And, you know, does it make more money for me? It does. There's also more cost associated with it. Um, you know, it, it, for a box set uh, of electronic books, there's not that much more expense. Mm-hmm. You just need to get a new cover and you, you know, I don't do any of this myself. I um uh, outsource all that, so I need a new format and that kind of thing. But um, you know, the co- once you've created the 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 book, the content, then you can package it in a variety of ways, and that's you know helpful. But what I try to do is to package it in ways that I know uh, you know certain readers want. Um, so that is a good thing. But there, for example, for audiobooks or um, paperbacks, there there is some expense associated right. with that. So you just have to realize that, you know, it, it, it's not free to package things in a variety of ways. But, um, but like I said, readers like it, and that's my goal, so... Well, this has been fabulous. I, I have learned a lot, and I hope our listeners have learned a lot as well. Um, I will be linking to your website, your Facebook page, your Twitter page, uh, the 12 website, uh, and some of the books that you've mentioned today, as well as uh, your Amazon author page in the show notes, which will be at theauthorbiz.com slash session 16, and that's the number 16. But for people listening, what's the best way to keep up with you, Diane? Um, the best way to keep up with me is through my website, which okay. is dianecapri.com. Okay. Um, but like 
like most authors, I'm everywhere these days. So <laughs> if you can, um, if, if you go to my website, you'll see all the other ways to contact me. I'm, I, like everyone, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all kinds of places. And you've got a wonderful email list that people can sign up for on your website. Yes, and I hope you'll do that. It's really um, a way that we can stay in touch because all of these social media platforms change their terms all the time. Uh, for example, a lot of people don't realize that if you have become, uh, if you have liked my Facebook page, for example, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything I post there gets sent to you by Facebook. In fact, uh, you know, only about 2% of the people who like my page get the things that we put there. Yes, that changes so often. People. Yes, it is annoying. It's so the, the, be- the single best way, and I preach this constantly to authors, is to have an email list that you can use to stay in contact with your readers. And for readers, if you like an author, go to their website and sign up for their email list. And if they don't have one, badger them to get one. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, once we found each other, we don't want to let you go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you, Stephen. Bye now. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, including past episodes, you can visit the website at www.theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can leave them at the site or you can ping me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Please join us again next week for another informative episode.